Hello and welcome to How to AI, a podcast that's all about how AI is currently being used in a range of different industries and what it takes to successfully implement AI into your business. My name's Tim Kellady. I'm the founder of an AI software company called Picard. And over the last few months, I've been interviewing business leaders from a whole range of different companies in the field of AI. Uh, many of them have many of them have been tasked with implementing some new AI uh, technology or software into their business. And what we really try and get to the bottom of is what does it take to do that successfully? What does it take um, from the conception of AI through to a prototype, through to scale? What are the pitfalls? What are the things to watch out for? What are the things that maybe they learned from that they would have done differently? Um, and the goal of the podcast really is to educate and to help other businesses who maybe haven't started in AI or maybe they're early on in their journey to know what perhaps the next steps to take might be for them. So I've really enjoyed uh, making and just interviewing and having some some of these conversations. So I hope that uh, you, the listener, will uh, also get something out of uh, these episodes. The interview that I've chosen to start off the series is with Matt Sinclair, who's the AI and uh, IoT lead at Microsoft Australia. And I think it makes for the perfect first episode because Matt is just a wealth of information and knowledge and, uh, when it comes to AI success and what it takes to uh, be successful in, in AI. Um, obviously, Microsoft are a big player in this space um, and They've done a lot of work to help different organizations uh, not only just prototype AI, but also bring it to scale. So he's got some uh, really excellent broad insights as to uh, where the industry is currently, um, some really interesting uh, case studies, and I think it's just an all-around really good interview. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. So Matt Sinclair, I'm the Internet of Things and Artificial Intelligence Lead for Microsoft Australia. Uh, my job is to look uh, horizontally across the organization, across sales, partner, marketing, product, engineering, uh, and point everyone in the same direction around national AI and IoT strategies. Um, ultimately, my goal is to increase the adoption of these technologies within Australia um, and making sure that we're bringing genuine benefit to the customers through these cloud technologies. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. So... You've obviously got heaps of uh, cool, cool stories and projects that you're working on. Yeah. I'd love to hear a bit more about those and um, what, I, I guess really what I'm trying to get out of um, the discussion and, and the podcast more generally is yeah. what, what does it take to actually implement AI successfully? Mm. Uh, what does that look like? What are some of the, the projects that have been successful? What are some of the things that haven't worked necessarily? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think best way to do that is just to learn from people's experiences everyone i think everyone's relatively new with this stuff so um yeah yeah and so if you've got if you've got any examples of projects that um yeah you've been keen to talk about yeah there's there's no shortage of uh ai and machine learning projects uh, around australia and the world um all with varying levels of scalability and success um I think, I think the thing that differentiates uh, a lot of successful uh, AI projects is if it moves beyond just that, that point solution and it genuinely scales throughout the business or people actually start integrating into the way they work, that's what makes it a successful AI project. Uh, and there's, I mean, there's a number of stories 
that we have that uh, demonstrate how you can go from solving just that single use case, delivering value, and then transitioning to you know an entire ML platform or actually integrating AI into your business. Uh, one of the most recent stories, uh, which was just extraordinary, was a project that uh, Downer delivered. So um, their D3 division uh, are monitoring the Sydney train lines. Um, so this is a beautiful story about the combination of aggregating information from sensors that you have existing on the train lines as well as implementing new sensor technologies, um, collecting that into a, a cloud database and then running artificial intelligence over the top to create an outcome for the customer that you're servicing. So uh, their goal was to improve the operations of the train line, uh, reduce downtime, have more efficient uh, maintenance schedules, um, and ultimately create a better journey for all of the city train goers. Um, so they spent a number of months working on the, on the project, uh, having these really clear outcomes in mind. Um, it's also important to consider the, the information you have and the information you need to, uh, to achieve the goals you want. Um, you know, most of the time people have too much data, but is that the right data you need? Uh, and there are many, many, uh, examples of, uh, situations where, you know, you may have 500 sensor readings uh, and you actually only need two of those or you only need one additional one. So there was a lot of time spent in really analyzing the problem, having a look at what information they had and what outcomes they could drive from that, uh, proving value from those, um, from those existing measurements and using that to kind of leapfrog into the next stage of the project. Uh, Dana have now implemented that uh, AI platform across uh, a fair number of train lines in Sydney. So that's something that's actually in action. Mm -hmm. um, not only that, they're building on that use case. So it's moved beyond now just maintaining the trains um, and monitoring the operations to now delivering insights to the, the customers by showing you know, what trains, uh, what train carriages are full. So based on weight measurements. So they're now appending new use cases. And that is the embodiment of a successful AI project. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how getting some runs on the board and showing some value really builds up that belief within the organisation, which I think is a bit of a snowball effect, isn't it? Correct. Uh, and a lot, of the, a lot of the use cases we see these days, particularly with machine learning, uh, is solving that point use case, which should definitely not be the end goal, but is a critical milestone. And a lot of people get caught up with where they want to be in five years' time. They want to be fully enabled with chatbots. They want full predictions on recommendations for content for customers. They want churn models. Uh, you can't have it all on day one. And uh, the best thing to do is just prove value within within a single use case um, with your eyes looking forward, but focused on delivering that first goal. Because uh, without achieving that first success, you're not going to get the buy-in you need from senior stakeholders to then continue the projects. Mm. And how were, how was Downer sort of organised in terms of being able to roll this out and implement it? They obviously had somebody on, on their side who was yep. really keen to make something happen and then also had the, the authority to, to then make it happen as well. What, what did that look like? Stepping away from Downer specifically, uh, though still using them as kind of the example, uh, successfully implementing... Artificial intelligence and IoT technologies within an organization requires uh, cross-business buying. A lot of these times, uh, AI is siloed within an IT organization because it's, it's technology, therefore it has to sit with IT, right? Well, not really. 
uh, and the success of the project comes from having that deep knowledge of the specific use case. Uh, in this case, it would be you know the operational teams or the, the engineers actually on the ground maintaining the trains, uh, but then also leveraging the capability of the IT divisions with their experience in you know managing technology at scale and managing it securely. Uh, but then also working with the uh, the customer teams as well. So you really need this cross organizational buy in in order to achieve the project. Um, if if the the down team had solely been just the the developers and the IT crew, it'd probably be a shiny project that uh, you know got a few snapshots and then gets put on a shelf and <laughs> starts gathering dust. Yeah. But because it actually uh, leveraged the the expertise of these operational divisions. It was useful, it was valuable, uh, and that's what makes it sustainable. Um, taking, if you're breaking down those silos within organization is the most important part mm. of uh, adopting emerging tech, for sure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's such a big, and I see this all, all the time, uh, both in um, people that I've interviewed and also in my personal experience, that, um, that often the difference between a successful and unsuccessful project is whether or not the people who are actually on the ground who had the operational expertise were involved in the project at all. I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer, but um, people do it. They just go off and decide, here's what we're going to do. And even if it's the best algorithm, even even if it works way better than, you know, their guy who's been doing it for 20 years, Mm. if he's not involved in the process, doesn't feel like he's got some ownership and buy-in, then... Half the time they're just gonna be like, no, nah, I don't, I don't trust it. That's it. They're not gonna buy into it. And I guess there's there's two other aspects as well. Um, the democratization of AI is is one of the most exciting things for me. The fact that it doesn't have to sit with a data science team or doesn't have to sit in IT that um, you know Sally or Joe, the the field workers, can jump into. Uh, you know, like an Azure service or something and, and start deploying an, an AI model with no experience of machine learning or anything like that is unbelievable because that really unlocks the opportunities. Um, it, it is, it's, bec- it's becoming like just as another tool in the toolbox like Excel yeah. is, for instance. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always going to be people all throughout the business who know how to, you know, write some handy formulas or little macros in Excel. And yeah. I think that AI is becoming exactly like that. It's, yeah, it's, that's it. And then the, the second point that I was going to touch on was um, with AI becoming more of an assistive or an augmentation technology, uh, it's even more important to have the people in the field doing the work have buy-in in the project as well. Um, a lot of people are concerned about AI replacing jobs, which you know is happening. There is a, there is a massive... Um, there's a massive gap in the market around skills. So when people are displaced by AI, they're not going to be able to go and pick up jobs elsewhere because the AI is just going to keep sort of chasing down these these positions. Um, so making sure you have the buy-in from people within the operational fields of the organization, they can really take advantage of the assistive and um, augmentating capabilities of AI. And that is one of the most powerful use cases, I think. Um, to talk about another story, um, there was a project done in um, the Northern Territory, with Northern Territory Fisheries, around uh, counting the fish within the Darwin Harbour. Uh, now, they used to do that just manually. They used to do it at kind of random rates. Uh, now they've dropped a camera into the harbour. It analyzes and tracks the fish as they pass in front of the lens, uh, gives them a much richer understanding of the ecosystem, gives them a much more reliable count 
on the fish um, and you know they, they can make changes or, or recommendations to the community appropriately. Um, perfect example of assistive AI technology. Instead of having two or three people sitting there uh, you know, looking through the footage and making mistakes, this AI now accelerates their, uh, their ability to achieve their goals. There is that consideration of what do you now do that uh, what do you now do when the task that they had used to take five hours and now it takes five minutes. What do you do with that spare time? That's a huge opportunity for businesses um, to reinvest in their people, to allocate them to um, more critical tasks, um, and one that I don't think businesses consider enough. Uh, that time saving that AI can allow your employees to spend time on the more critical aspects of the business. Um, definitely one of the most underrated aspects of AI. Mm. Especially for, for um, organisations which perhaps are, are limited in their in their resources. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you spoke about before with the interview about AI for good and I think that that's one of those areas where if you're talking about non-for-profit organisations and ones who are traditionally a little bit more strapped for cash, yeah. the, the ability to get that tool, you know, three times more out of their existing yeah. workforce is massive for the impact that they're, that they're having. It's not like they're going to go then and fire all, you know, half their staff because they've replaced it with AI. It's yeah. Most organisations, I'm sure, fall into that category of we want to be doing all of this, but we've only got the resources to do, you know, this small amount. So. That's it. People always have way too much to do and there's always a, a mile-long priority list. Um, how do you cut that list in half through AI and repurpose your workers to go and maybe explore some of those more strategic or some of those more you know, riskier or exciting projects, um, which I think then grows and you know, fuels innovation and just you, you get this snowball effect going on, which is kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it is, uh, I think, absolutely that understanding of, A, I think what you touched on about augmentation and assistive AI is, is crucial because... What I'm seeing is mm. that the majority of AI applications actually fall into that category of yeah. AI helping people to do their jobs better. Yeah, and nobody's going to be opposed to that. Um, the, the there are some niche instances where okay, AI is just going to totally wipe out this workforce. Mm. Um, industries like um, call centers and things like that, you can see yeah, that on the horizon, um, and it's already happening. Uh, but for so many more industries, and even mm. even talk with call centres, um, which is a classic example that people point to, mm. uh, companies that use call centres are, are now moving to training people to be bot supervisors. Yeah. So they used to be maybe on the phone, mm. and now they maybe are in charge of five or ten bots, yeah. and they step in whenever they see the need to, and they just get some different training. And yeah. uh, so. For the most part, I think that the this general uh, you know hype around or, or fear of AI taking jobs is, in my opinion, a little bit overinflated. Although in some yeah. cases is is you know very real for, for people. So it, it is it is overinflated um, in in some circumstances, but in in other regards, it's something that we need to be hyper aware of because. Like we talk about the opportunity to reskill people, we talk about the fact that it won't replace jobs and whatnot, but it can. And if we don't make sure we're implementing the the programs right now to catch those people who are displaced from AI, it, it will become an issue in the future. So the fact we're so aware of it now is amazing. Um, I mean, 
I wasn't around in the industrial revolution, but I'm sure it wasn't top of mind for them that uh, they were cutting workers and things like that. Um, you know, these days we are aware of it. We're very conscious of it. Um, we just need to make sure we're acting on it now so it doesn't become a problem in the future. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good thought. I mean, going back to the, the downer story and talking about what's required within an organization to successfully implement an AI or machine learning project, mm. how do you know if your organization's ready? For, for AI and machine mm. learning. Um, this is an interesting topic that comes up almost daily with customers because uh, I've seen many examples of organizations having just the greatest idea. You go in and you're like, how did you think of this? This is extraordinary. And then three months later, it's in a bin somewhere because it didn't successfully get implemented. Um, so I think there's a, there are a couple of key characteristics within an organization to know if you're ready for the impact that AI can have. Um, my number one recommendation for organizations is, is culturally, is your organization ready for this kind of stuff? Um, sometimes the level of risk, sometimes the level of experience, sometimes the just the deep tech understanding that's required isn't at that level. Um, so companies like Downer had people within their organization, this real deep experience in the technology, this practical experience in implementation, it makes it so much more successful. Not every organization can afford that. Um, however, with the uh, democratization of AI, with the availability of these services from a, um, like a citizen data, data scientist perspective, there is no shortage of training that people can go through. There's no shortage of self-learning, you know, completely free that people can go through. So the, the biggest thing would be skills and culture. That's like a, a massive part of it. Um, the second, which we were kind of speaking about before, was data you know, do you have the right level of data in your organization? And it's not just the quantity, it's it's the quality uh, of, of the data. Do you have the right data management processes within your organization? Is it all just sitting, you know, in a folder on someone's, you know, laptop they cart around or are you cloud enabled already? Big consideration for AI. Uh, and it's not just about, it's not just about the availability and the handling of data prior to AI and machine learning. What about after? You know, one of the big things we're speaking to some customers who are a little more progressive now is how are you constantly revisiting the accuracy of your models? How are you looking for shifts in data uh, and then counteracting that by retraining your models accordingly? You know, data drift is a real concern that people are only just hitting because now that you know, machine learning is getting a bit more enterprise and scalable, these are the things we have only just started considering or thinking about. Um, and to me, that's a good thing, right? Data drift is a very positive aspect of machine learning because it means you're doing something right. The, you know, we talk about digital feedback loops, which is effectively just getting insight from the real world, um, maybe through IoT, maybe through other means, uh, using artificial intelligence, machine learning, advanced analytics capabilities to then create an action that's implemented in the real world, which then changes the situation, hopefully for the better, and then recollecting that data and doing the same thing over and over. So if your data is drifting, Hopefully, you're making positive impacts. But again, just like considerations that people haven't thought of. Um, what is your plan for managing data drift or uh, you know, data changes within your organization can hugely impact AI projects? Mm, sure. So there, are there any sort of key hallmarks of, it, of an organization that you would point or, or a checklist almost of you'd say you are, you're ready to get started with AI or... Maybe yeah. you're you need to do some more skills and training first. Um, what? Yeah. What are the benchmarks? 
So I, I think every organization is ready to start playing with AI. I don't think there's any good excuse for a company not to be experimenting with this technology, given how cheap it is, how accessible it is. Everyone should be getting in there, hands on, you know, grab your grab your software devs, grab your, grab your sysadmin, whoever it might be, um, get them building a bot. You know, give them half a day a week, go experiment. Uh, let them start noodling on those those ways to bring value to the business through AI. That should be where everyone's at. Now, going from that level to then implementing a, a project that solves a use case to then going to production enterprise scale, you know, AI and machine learning, they're two very big jumps. Um, getting to that use case that delivers value to the organization uh, is, is, is a tough checkpoint. And for me, well, my recommendation would be spending more time on business case than the tech is what makes that so successful. Spending that time up front to do the research, assess the business impact, not just kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, um, but genuinely getting that input from the business, uh, you know, to our point before about cross-organizational buy-in, what is going to have the biggest impact or what is the lowest hanging fruit to start um, either generating new revenue or, or cutting costs, creating better customer experience, whatever your values are. That should be where a lot of time is spent. You know, in parallel, you can then do a lot of the skilling. So if you, I mean, depends on the appetite of the organization. I'd recommend people in their business have someone who has some understanding uh, to a, you know, to a decent depth of machine learning and AI capabilities. A lot of businesses outsource it, um, which is fine for now, but we'll see that starting to merge closer in-house um, as, as years progress. So having someone in your organization who you can point to as like the AI champion or the AI expert. Um, you know, give, give someone uh, that ability to learn. Um, fantastic for them from a career perspective and uh, fantastic for your organization to have someone in-house who can speak the language of, uh, of AI and machine learning. Um, so the business case, the skills in the person, um, and then almost to that business case point, have, have that really clear milestone, but have that outlook to the enterprise and scale. Um, side of AI machine learning as well because if you just solve for that one use case great you get a pat on the back you save 10% in operational costs on your manufacturing line big win what now what next having that clear plan of okay if this succeeds where to next how are we operationalizing it how are we making you know like a machine learning platform how do we take this success and scale it across the business give people the opportunity to play around with the data themselves um, that is quite a that's quite a progressive step um, data sharing within organizations is notoriously tough um, but we're seeing that uh, we're seeing that collapse quite quite rapidly um, both with just the cultural changes that happen in organizations because they're now seeing the necessity of sharing data but also technology is finally catching up to allow that secure and safe sharing of information both uh, intra-organization and also inter-organization as well um, so how do you safely give data to a third party to be able to build their machine learning models without you know, compromising the integrity of your systems. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a few points there that I think are, are really critical. The enterprise production grade machine learning one, um, that one is, is then a little murkier because that depends, you know, there's no, I wouldn't say there's any like guaranteed checklist that this is what will make your enterprise, um, this is what will make your machine learning AI application enterprise scale. Um, one thing I will flag that a lot of people, um, that a lot of people kind of sometimes cringe at, but you know, AI ethics is, is a real thing. Um, there's a marketing side to it, 
which is important to have the conversation. Um, there is a sort of genuine legislative and regulatory aspect of it, which is even more critical. Uh, and then there's what does that mean within your business? Like what does that AI ethics actually mean? Uh, and for me, it comes down to data ethics rather than AI ethics. Um, and so having that, that um, process within your organization that uh, clearly says, we know what our data is, we know, you know, what, we know what biases exist, um, we know how our data is going to change, or at least we're going to monitor for those data changes and we're going to act accordingly. Having some of those basic framework um, frameworks in place that looks at you know, how, how the biases and, and certain hidden aspects of your data can impact your business, that's what, you know, one of the key things to move into an enterprise scale. So, um, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely. Clear. absolutely well, yeah, a lot yeah. of information there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, I'm interested to delve a bit more into that AI yeah, ethics yeah. question because it's, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of talk of it, but yeah. uh, it's still an area which people are, are not, not quite sure exactly what they're doing when yeah. it comes to it. Um, do, you, do you have any sort of practical guidance that you would say give, give a, a, new, a, a new client or someone who's just embarking on an AI project yeah. um, some s- simple guidance as to yeah. you know, w- what does it mean to, to deploy AI in an ethical way? Yeah. Um, to touch on uh, something you mentioned just before I move into that question, um, you're right. AI ethics is this bit of ephemeral. It's an ephemeral topic, and I think it's because to grasp AI ethics, you need to grasp AI, yeah. which a lot of organisations aren't, aren't at yet because it's still such a new technology. Yeah. Um, so you know, the, some of the more developed organisations in this space are confident in having that AI ethics conversation for a lot of organisations in Australia. They've got no idea what that means because they've only just started using you know complex functions in an Excel spreadsheet. They're not ready to move on to some of these more advanced um, AI and ML use cases. Um, so I think that that's where that's where the different lies uh, the the difference lays. Um, however, I still think that even if you're right at the start of your AI journey, having a having an idea in mind of AI ethics is important. Um, so then to to the question about what guidance would we give uh, customers who are embarking on this this journey and want to make sure that AI ethics is front of mind? Um, the first thing is, again, a ton of free content online to uh, to be able to learn about what are these some of these general trends in AI ethics. Um, to do a bit of a plug, we have an AI business school from Microsoft, completely free, covers like seven or eight different industries. Um, where you can learn about what are these considerations in AI ethics, um, how do they apply to a particular industry. Um, just getting a, a broad understanding of what the conversation is and why we're having it um, is the most important part. So typically I direct people there or I invite people to come and have a conversation just about you know what is it and why, why are we talking about it. The second is uh, building an, like an ethical framework within your organization and there's a chance you already have a form of an ethical framework within your organization that's non-specific to AI, but it may be your company values. It may be, um, you know, like a CEO level or board, board directed um, set of values or framework for operating. You know, taking those and applying those into AI ethics framework are just as important. Like if customer service is your number one thing, if um, 
you know, maybe, you know, sometimes an internal value is just being cost conscious or, you know, being sustainable, uh, sustainably minded, you know, that sort of stuff. They can all buy into your AI ethics framework. Um, cause if you've got this, this like ethical framework around data usage and that, that does not map to the, the values of your organization, again, it's not going to stick. It's just going to be like throwing two rocks at each other. Um, the third is considering the state of the data within your organization. So to my point earlier, you know, AI ethics is really data ethics. It's really um, taking a good hard look at what your data is saying and is that accurately capturing the state of the world. Um, you know, just because you're measuring the temperature of something doesn't mean that that's necessarily the temperature of the whole entity. Or, you know, it may, you may be having a bias reading um, and then that bias reading is then amplified through the multitude of, you know, analytics that you do or machine learning and that can spit out a result that looks right according to the data but doesn't actually accurately capture the real world. And I think that fundamentally that that's what it comes down to is the data I'm collecting accurately representing the state of the situation. Um, so when we talk about biases in things like facial recognition, you know, a lot of facial recognition, early facial recognition technology was based on, um, you know, like Caucasian males, you know, um, older Caucasian males. So therefore, facial recognition was biased towards, you know, older Caucasian males. Um, it wasn't accurately capturing the diversity of people we have in this world, and that that's a problem. Um, so just understanding your information uh, is, I think, a very critical part of the AI ethics framework. Mm, mm, absolutely. Um, one area that I find really interesting is that when, you, when you're looking to start applying AI, um, yeah, especially in the early stages, so when an organization is relatively immature and they're, mm. in their, their journey with AI, is grappling with the, I guess, the, like the sci-fi effect of AI yeah. and people's misconceptions yeah. on both ends of the scale. Some people are just totally skeptical and other people or you know very wary that it's going to take their job other people uh, perhaps have think that it's going to do way more than it actually can yeah um have, i mean obviously there's no easy sort of one line answer yeah. as to how you you grapple with that but what are some of the general things that you've you've seen work well don't work well in terms of bringing an organization i guess to a point where people's expectations align with the reality of what ai can do yeah it's, it's always funny uh, having conversations with people about AI and the first thing that comes to mind is like Terminator and <laughs> those, like, it's, it, it happens a lot. Um, it comes down to, to skills and understanding, um, which is why it, it's such a big thing. But like at, at Microsoft in particular, where we're very big on getting information out there, re-educating, re-skilling, making sure people have the right, the right bits of information, which is why, you know, a ton of our training is free and there's a ton of other free training out there as well from reputable sources so that people can gain an understanding of what this technology is actually capable of. I mean, having explained to people why, you know, killer robots and general AI is so far away is always a fun conversation. Um, but to your point, how do you go on, on the other end of the scale and, you know, people may have a, a realistic impression of, you know, machine learning, like they know it's not going to be killer robots, but maybe they've completely blown, blown out of proportion the predictive capabilities of machine learning. Um, that's why we're so big on stories and talking about uh, not just the technology, but how people are using the technology and the outcomes that are being driven from it. Because I think the 
the onus is on the companies building the technology to educate the people about what this technology can do. Um, it's something we're very big on at Microsoft, like I said, you know, not only skills, but also being really transparent about the capabilities of the technology. Um, so often that will be our starting point for a lot of these conversations. You know, what do you want to achieve? Okay, we can achieve this, we can't achieve that. Um, and often you, know, you don't know you until you've actually even tried to give it a go. That's it. <laughs> um, and I know we've mentioned it a few times, but citizen data scientists or just availability of AI services, like the best way to find out is just go and have a plane. Just yeah. start exploring it. Give people the freedom to go and mess around. And I mean, it's how I think a lot of organizations started with AI, you know, five, six years ago. I remember being in the US and hearing about some large tech companies who uh, were building uh, AI or machine learning frameworks. And they, the first thing they did was after they'd experimented with it, they made it a platform and gave it to their their employees and said, go over play. Here are the data sets. Tell us what you think. Um, and then people then began to understand, okay, like there's severe limitations here or, oh, there's you know, massive opportunity there. Um, so just getting people hands on with it and uh, sharing the stories about what is and isn't possible. And then us as, as technology creators and, and providers making sure we're being really transparent about the limitations and the advantages of the technology. Mm. Awesome. Got a couple more um, yeah, go for it. questions. I'm just aware of probably only got ten minutes left, but um, good. The, the first one is so the relationship between IoT and AI. Yeah. Um, are you able to talk about how you see those two um, fitting together and yep. um, yeah, just what what you think that relationship is? Um, yeah. Uh, definitely. They're two really interesting technologies. Uh, and and my, my philosophy is every IoT project is an AI project. Um, not every AI project has to be an IoT project, but um, if you're not leveraging uh, machine learning capabilities or AI capabilities as part of your IoT solution, you're only half baking the cake. You're not getting the full value out of it. Uh, and there's a number of reasons for that. The beauty of IoT is it gives us a richer insight into the physical world. Uh, we get a much better understanding of our environment uh, and therefore we can reason better over that information to create more insightful actions for our business. Uh, that used to be easy to do when you had tens of sensors or hundreds of sensors communicating very simple information, populating in a dashboard and having a human operator look at the graph uh, or having a very simple uh, expression that says it's above this threshold, therefore you should probably do X, Y, Z or trigger an alert. Um, fine for a lot of use cases, but when you really want to start moving into operational efficiencies or uh, really start cost saving with an organization or even just creating a better customer experience through a connected product, that's when you need that additional insight of you know, machine learning in particular. Uh, it, it pulls out those insights that you wouldn't even have thought to look for. Um, and although I don't encourage people to just blindly apply machine learning algorithms to their data, uh, you know, the hidden insights that it can pull out uh, can be quite extraordinary. So having that ability to understand your physical world at a much deeper level through assisted machine learning um, just creates extraordinary opportunity for organizations. I mean, the, the Downer Stories is a perfect example of that. 
Um, the there's another story to go on a quick tangent that I, I love talking about, and it's not a business story. It's a it's an AI for good story, but for me, it embodies the perfect connection between IoT and AI. Uh, we worked Microsoft worked with an organization in uh, in Kenya that was. Uh, looking at saving an endangered species of uh, African elephant. Uh, and they used to just go out and try and track these elephant herds. Uh, sometimes the herds would be lost for days and you'd stumble upon them, you know, retag them and move on. Uh, they ended up deploying microphones around the, uh, the wildlife park these elephants were in, uh, capturing sounds so they could hear when these elephants were in trouble, mating, you know, happy, whatever it was, they could roughly identify the location and the state of the elephant herd. Um, there was a ton of data that was collected, like we're talking terabytes of information. Uh, it used to take, I believe it was three days to process the information. Uh, if an elephant's in one place, three days later, it's probably going to be somewhere else, right? It's not the, mo- it's not the most effective way of tracking the elephant's. Um, but there you have IoT sensors that are at least giving you some additional insight into the world. Now you're getting an understanding of how the herd is behaving and what state they're in rather than just where they are. Uh, by applying machine learning, uh, we took that, uh, that data processing time from three days down to under an hour. Uh, so now you have pretty quick ability to identify where these herds are at and almost track them in effectively real time. You know, Given that Kenya and, and you know the, these wildlife parks aren't the most technologically advanced uh, spaces as well, you know under now processing of this information is, is quite extraordinary. Um, so now they're better tracking these herds, better understanding of the health. They can identify poachers in real time. They're, you know it's saving lives. Like it's genuinely helping the population of these African elephants. Um, and it's that perfect combination of IoT to get a deeper understanding of what's happening in the space, and then using machine learning to aid workers in crunching through the numbers, identifying uh, new insights, um, and then taking actions to improve the state of the physical world. Mm. Oh, that's an awesome use case. Yeah. yeah. Love that. <laughs> um, yeah, last question. So what is on the horizon in terms of the capabilities of AI mm. um, and IoT for that matter Yeah, that you think is particularly exciting or, or looking likely to have an impact um, in in enterprise or, or in, in, in any sort of uh, use case that, that you can foresee? Yeah, there, there's a few things I'm excited about. Um, some are a little more boring than others. <laughs> yeah. um, the first thing I'm actually really excited about is more conversational bots. Uh, not, not in terms of more quantities of conversational bots. There are far too many conversational bots out there. But the quality of the conversations you can have with, with AI bots I think is going to have a massive impact on the way we work and society in general. Um, I see AI bots as an interface with information. Um, so a lot of people are using it in call centers, a lot of people are using it um, uh, as a customer interface, but also using it for in-house purposes to quickly identify information. So I think as we see uh, more customers uh, accessing the cloud, putting the data in the cloud, reasoning over the information, creating those insights, having the ability to easily uh, interact with a bot uh, is something that I think has understated potential at this stage. Um, so that for me is, is one critical um, one critical development that I'm very excited about. The next one that's a little, little more boring, um, but I think is probably even more important, 
is starting to take these uh, super advanced machine learning capabilities and actually building them in such a way that it is enterprise ready. So, you know, we mentioned before about monitoring data as it's as it's drifting, um, as it's changing, having model management. So understanding, you know, iterative changes in your model, when do you know when to act, uh, when, when to change it, when to update it. Um, having that pipeline so that people can just jump in and uh, create their own models or, or have a play with the information. We're getting to a point where the technology is becoming so accessible that any organization can spin that up pretty easily and cost effectively. Um, and, you know, that, that's not easy. Um, it can't just be virtual machines running, you know, Jupyter notebooks and whatnot because that's not accessible. How do you distill out those core features and functionality and, and provide that to the people in a, in a secure and scalable way? Uh, and that's, that's definitely the direction Microsoft's taking. Um, so, you know, today we have really great uh, enterprise learning capabilities but what's coming next over the next you know, year or so, I think is uh, going to be super exciting and a very critical time for organizations, which I think it's why it's so important that you're starting to play with this capability now. Uh, like I said, it, you know, if you can't achieve that cross-organizational buy-in, that's fine, at least start somewhere. You know, at least empower one or two folk within your organization to go and have a training course or spend some time playing around because you will miss the wave as it passes through um your competitors will have adopted the technology and you'll be behind um you'll be drowning in in, in the wake mm. of this of this momentum um so today is the best day to get started the next best time is tomorrow um and having that yeah having that insight to see where the technology is going around enterprise um so enterprise machine learning capabilities, I think, is one of the biggest trends that, that will uh, unlock potential for organizations. Getting started today is super important, getting hands-on with the tech, um, having the insight to see where the technology is going, how widespread the adoption is, and making sure you're on top of that wave now uh, will be critical for the success of organizations. Mm, awesome. All right, let's wrap it up there. Thanks so Good much, stuff. Matt. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it.